and some were outside of the church. And what they were doing was they were trying to tear down the person of Christ. Now, if you can tear down the person of Christ to a believer's heart, if you can cause them to doubt and to wane in their faith, then you've won the war. You've won. And that's what the enemy was trying to do. And that's what the enemy is trying to do in the year 2021 with the believers. He's trying to tear down the person of Christ through science. You know, we're here all the time, follow the science, don't we? And we hear, well, Christian says, well, follow the science. Listen, do you know there's no such thing as the science? There's no such thing as the science. It's just science. Because the science gives the idea of something that's finished, completed, settled knowledge. But science has to keep rehearsing itself, changing itself, evolving itself. And if we can always say, follow the science. I'm not against science, by the way. But if we keep saying follow the science, well, then that same science tells us that God does not exist. That same science tells us that the earth was created with a big bang, as they call it. And that same science also tells us that man evolved from a mud puddle to a monkey until what we are today. If you follow the science. The thing about it is. They try to tear down the person of Christ. And even within the church. There are those who want to take away the deity of Christ. If you can water Christ down. on the person of Christ. To just a mere prophet. Then you're no better than Islam. Or Judaism. And the scriptures tell us that if a man or a woman denies Christ as in his deity, his divinity, then they are anti-Christ. So there are those even in today who would want to take the knowledge away of the scripture and make Christ nothing more than at the most a prophet. But Christ is the Son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is eternal as to his deity. He is the word which was with the Father. He is the word of God which is God and was God. And hence he became flesh for us. And if he isn't, if he isn't come from glory, heaven, if he isn't God manifest in the flesh to die for us, then we are not saved. So people try to make us doubt and they'll try to make us think differently about the person of Christ. The centrality of our faith, the centrality of teaching, the centrality of the scripture the centrality of our Christian life and living, the centrality of the preaching of the word, of our worship, 
should be the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else and nothing else. Christ must have the preeminence. He must have center throne, as it were, center place. And if he's any less than that, then we have a wrong view of Christ. In John's day here, it is said that actually uh, it is reported in some history that John being unable to preach anymore, well up to near 100 years of age, he was so weak that they used to carry him out of his house. And the, the believers gathered around his house. And some of the ancient Greek writers have, have taken note of this, that he would have come out, carried out by maybe four men on a, on a, a chair or a bed. He had lifted his head and said, a, a, a great big sermon. You know why your pastor's long-winded? Well, his great big sermon wasn't long-winded. He used to say, love one another. And they took him back in again. Now, that might be good for those who want short sermons. But it's even better for the preacher if they come around his door and he doesn't have to leave the house. <laughs> and they all come out that way. So, but this is what John uh, written, had written this first letter for. Because the, the, these people had come in into the church and from outside the church infiltrating. And they were called the, the Docetic Gnostics. The Docetic Gnostics. So for example, Gnostic means to know. To know, where we get our word knowledge from. And uh, the word Docetic means to seem S-E-E-M, to seem. So the ascetic Gnostics would have come in and said, it only seems like you know this Christ. It only seems that this man was divine. You might believe it, but it just seems like that. It's not true. It only seems that this man went to the cross and that he actually died on the cross. It only seems that this man actually went into the tomb and as you all declare it, you early Christians, that he rose again on the third day. So the docetic Gnostics were sowing seed of doubt. Brothers and sisters, the, the worst company you can keep as a Christian are those who are constantly doubting Christ. It just seems like that. You only think that. That's maybe not real, and maybe that's not true. And this is what they were doing. Hence their name, the Docetic Gnostics. So John writes this letter. And he writes it to encourage the church, but he writes it to let them know, listen guys, he's saying, I want to tell you what my experience of him is. In verse 1, that which was from the beginning, John starts off like the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. 
John goes right to the book of beginnings, to the seedbed of the Bible. The very seedbed where the flowers would grow through Scripture, where the pictures, the foreshadowings, and the types of Christ would grow up from throughout the Old Covenant, right then into the New, coming from the, the Old Testament where it shows the coming Christ, the coming Christ, to the New where it is, He has come, the Christ. He has come. So he goes back to Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He uses the same term in verse 1. That which was from the beginning. You know what he's saying? I know him, he's God. See the one who created the heaven and the earth and said, let there be light and there was light. This is he. That's where John's bringing us. That's where he's bringing these people. Because you're going to come more and more against people like this in your daily life, in your place of work, among your family, and those maybe in your society, your street, your neighborhood, wherever you, le- you are living, and even in the church. There, are, there, there is more. I remember 20 years ago, I preached one time and I told the people, listen, it's becoming more and more popular, as it were, to put it in a bracket. Among Christians that Christ was only a man and his beginning was only at Bethlehem. But he was a good man, a worthy man and a prophet to die. Now that is a lie from hell. And I said it's growing and it's growing. And brothers and sisters, it's growing and it's growing greater. And the reason it happens is because the church wants to be accepted by the world. Get your tinfoil hat on if you don't walk with us. And so they want to be accepted by the world. So they'll do the things of the world. They'll believe the things of the world. They'll act like the world and bring the world in the church. Someone once said, there's nothing as drastic, pardon me, there's nothing as beautiful as seeing an ocean liner at night all lit up going along the, the top of the ocean waves. Nothing as beautiful, but there's nothing as drastic as seeing the sea which it sailed on inside the ship which sailed on it. And hence, that has happened to the church. The world has come in until some places you don't know the difference between the church and the world. So it's a case of let's be like the world. Let the world dictate. And the doubts come in to believers, not just here in CET, in every place you go, but what if, but what about, but what about this and what about that? And the scriptures are irrelevant to many of them. The scriptures are antiquated. I'm talking about so-called believers. They don't want the word to challenge what they have thought, and they don't want the word to challenge what they have been told, and they don't want the word, the word to challenge the world, 
that they've been following. And hence it comes in and it brings doubtings. And it brings disaster. And the sea is in the boat. You know what happens when the too much sea gets inside the boat, don't you? It sinks. It sinks. And hence, in this day and age, the church is floundering. Floundering. Who would have thought, even 20 years ago, that such a, an, an abominable, rotten, depraved law as aborting up the birth a child because it has a cleft palate would happen in our Ulster? Who would have thought of it? It would have been uproar in the streets away with such a thing. Where's the church? Where's the voices of all the... You know the, you know the four, as they call it, the four main denominations, at least? Where's, where's their voice? There's none. I went on Monday with... I went on my own, but there's a few others up there that I met. Different ones were that. Outside Stormont against the the vaccine passports. And I'm standing on my own, and this man comes out of nowhere and he shouts, and people turn around and look at me. I felt a bit embarrassed. And he shouted to me, Ah, the famous Ken Davidson. And I turn around like this. And he says, The man, the, wo- the man crying on his own. I know I'm not the man crying on my own, but that's what he said. In other words, and he came, he says, Where are they all? are they all and it brings the church down pulls the church splits the church open and it devastates it I think it's time to plug a few holes and set seals John had written this because the same was happening in the early church this is possibly 60 years after the day of Pentecost. Roughly. And he writes, that which was from the beginning. Remember his gospel, what he said? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Remember John 1, 1, 1 to 3, and the, you, you, you can see how he's bringing him right back. Matthew and his gospel does the lineage of the, 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 the humanity of Christ and he brings them right down to Abraham. He's off the seed of Abraham. Luke, the doctor, brings his lineage right the whole way down uh, to Adam. He's of Adam's race. You see? So you have Adam, you have Abraham with these two gospels. But Mark doesn't give us any lineage of him. 30 years of age, John the Baptist is in the river Jordan and behold, Jesus comes and he says, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So John has no background. Pardon me, Mark has no background. 
But John brings them further than Abraham, that Matthew brings them, further than Adam, that Luke brings them to. John goes right into eternity. In the beginning was the Word. Now John is putting this here as though he's lifted it from Genesis 1 verse 1, right out of his own letter of the, of, of God, of the gospel. And now he's bringing it to the church and he's writing, in the beginning, I'm going to tell you about him. That Christ is the one who manifests the Father. From God and is God. All in the opening line of this letter. And again, he's writing it because of the docetic Gnostics. It only seems that he was divine. It only seems that it was that way at all. It only seems that Jesus is the same. It only seems that he rose from the dead. It, it seems that way. We have the knowledge that is different. And the early church started to shake a bit. Look what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, Now, there's a difference here in hearing and John saying, which we have heard. There's a difference. You can hear something tonight and forget it by the time you get into your car. You can maybe even hear something that might challenge or encourage or whatever, and you forget it as soon as you get to the car. You heard it. Yeah, you heard it. But the words John uses here, remember, John is an old man. John is looking on upon a hundred years of age here. And John is saying that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. When did you hear him, John? Because it's been 60 plus years since he he had died on the cross. And 50 days later, he ascends into heaven. How long has it been, John? Oh, you're right, about 60 so years. What do you mean you've heard him? This is the idea of it. John is saying, I have heard him. I heard him teach. I heard him preach. I heard him talk. I heard him speak with tones of love and of grace. I heard him speak with tones of mercy. I heard him command devils. I heard him cast them out. I've heard him. But he didn't forget it. The idea is, John is saying, I have heard him and his word. What he said, what he done, what he taught, the very tones of his voice. Wouldn't that be beautiful to hear the very, what, what the accents? He says the very tones of his voice. This is what he's saying. Even as an old man is still ringing in my ear. That's what this means. That's what the Spirit should be doing to all of us. The word which we heard when we got saved still rings in my ears. The words of the gospel and the words of love and the words of hope and 
the words of deliverance and the words of salvation, the words of encouragement that Christ has given to me, it still rings in my ear. And John is saying, listen, I'm, a, I'm aware of what he said. And it's ringing right now as an old man in my ear. Listen, when John sat with him and lay on his breast at supper, you have this, uh, this painting, don't you? Of the big long table. Jesus in the middle and they're all sitting along each side. And John's also a family. They even think it's maybe Mary Magdalene. Some argue it's a woman laying like this. Looking gazingly into Jesus' eyes. See, they try and make something pure and pure. That's the fleshy, worldly, depraved heart of man. That's the wickedness of it. But the table wasn't even like that. So that's wrong from the start. The table would have been about what? A foot, foot and a half high. The table was about here. It would have went along and then down both sides. They would have lay on their left elbow at the table with their feet out here. The next one and the next one and the next one. And as they go along, the table going along, they lay like this. They could talk to one another. With their feet out. How do you think the woman came in when he was eating at supper and washed his feet with her tears if they're stuck beneath the table? They weren't. They were laying out behind him. She came and wept at his feet while he lay and he looked at her. So he's lying on his elbow, his left one. Peter must have been over at the other end of the U-shaped table looking towards John, who John has his back to Jesus, lying on his left elbow with his ear at Jesus' breast, leaning like this, talking. That's how they look. They lean like this. Peter would have been over the far side, looking and saying, who is it that will betray him? And Jesus has the sop, dips it in. He didn't sit the way we would sit, like our legs under the table and say, here, pass that down to Judas, would you? John is at his breast, leaning on his left elbow, shoulder at the table. Who's behind him? He dips it in. The backstabber. Here, Judas, that's for you. This is how they ate. The woman comes around and she washes his feet with her tears, dries them with her hair. His feet weren't stuck under a table like ours. And when John lay on the breast of Jesus, he listened and he heard the heartbeat of God. And John is saying here, I've heard him. I'm an old man. And I remember the things he told me. I remember the teaching he did. I remember all that he said. And it still rings today in my very ear. Let's go on. He says, that, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Notice, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Let me ask you a question. What's the difference? That which we have seen. So if you see something with your eyes, you're looking at it, aren't you? So why would John say that which we have 
seen with our eyes which we have looked upon. Is he just rehearsing it again that he's seen them, he's seen them, he's seen them? It's different again. And the difference is this. John is saying, I've seen him. And it means to look and to know exactly what you're looking at. That's the idea of the original Greek text here. John was saying, I've seen him to the SRD church with all these doubters coming in, making people doubt Christ, making him doubt his deity, making him doubt his, his work on Calvary and the blood that he shed, making them, them, them all doubt the, the power of the resurrection. That's why Paul even writes, well, if Christ be not raised, then we're still in our sin. We're of all men most miserable. And what John is saying here is, that which we have seen, that means to see and to fully understand what you've looked at. I've seen him breaking bread. I've seen him raising the dead. I've seen him walking on the water in the midst of a storm. I've seen him. And this is what John's trying to tell this early church, to strengthen them in the faith in Christ. I've seen him. I've seen him when he said to a little girl who was dead, Tulitha Kumai, and he took her by the hand and raised her to life. I've seen him touch the bier or the coffin of a widow woman's son and he sat up and he says, go home to your mommy. And that's why he could say to, to, to Mary and Martha, I am, present tense, the resurrection and the life. Not I will be. I am now, the resurrection and the life. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. So have the light of light. We find here that John is writing to tell the people, be strong because I'm telling you as an old man, his word still is as fresh as ever ringing in my ear. I have seen him and I know exactly what I was looking at. I've seen the miracles. I've seen him three and a half miles out in a dark night walking in the midst of a storm and the sea was like a footpath to him. It became like a pavement under his feet. I've seen him. I've seen us all night trying to catch fish and I'm telling us to cast nets over the other side and Peter says, that thy word will do it. And we're hauling in a great haul. So John's writing this to the church. So what's the difference between we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon. It's a difference. Seeing with our eyes, as I said, means to look, understand what you're looking at. See the words looked upon. Looked upon. The, the, the Greek word is threomai. Threomai. And it's where you and I get our English word theater from. Theater. So a man takes his wife to the theater. 
not the opera theater now, the, the theater that you go to watch something. And so if we can look at it where we get theater from, you sit in your seat, maybe on a balcony or wherever you're sitting, and there is the, the pit, the orchestra pit. I'm all tuning up, all that, all the noises they make. There's the stage, the curtain goes back, and all the players start coming on, all the actors. And they all have their own parts, they all have their own words to remember, they all have their own positions to be in, their own costumes to wear, everything's done. But there was someone who wrote it and produced it. In other words, someone went and told them the words, here's where I want you to be, and so they produced it with the, uh, the quality of it. And then someone came along and directed it. But the man who writes it knows the beginning, knows all the players and the actors, and he knows the ending. And when you and say your wife go in and you're sitting there and the curtains go, they all come in. After a while, it's as though the rest of the couple of thousand or three thousand or whatever it is would be in the theater. It's nearly as if they aren't there anymore because you know why? You're drawn into the theater, the play. You're drawn right into it. It's as if it's just you in the old time, you maybe feel your wife nudging you or something and what's happening in the theater. This is what John was using. The Greek theaters, they had the amphitheaters and they would have had plays on it and John was saying it in the Greek word, which we, we've looked upon. I know I've seen him with my eyes. I know what I've seen, but this is what I've done. I looked on him and he drew me right in. I've seen the life of Christ. I've seen the manifestations of Christ. I've seen him move in power. I've seen him move in glory. I was up the mountain and he was transfigured before me. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. John's rehearsing this. He's going, It's like watching a theater. Never man speak like this man. None can do like this man does except God be with him and he be God. That's what John's saying here. And he's writing it to these people saying, listen, forget about the naysayers. Forget about the Christ haters. Forget about the doubters. Forget about all those who are trying to pull down the name of Christ. He says, I've seen him. I know who he is. And he drew me right in. And listen, I have watched the operations of his life. That's why when we look at some of the fundamentals of our faith, We believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in the scriptures. God is revealed as the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in the sinless life of Christ. The atoning death of Christ. But we also believe in the miraculous manifestations of Christ. So this is why John's writing this. You realize tonight we're not getting through that chapter, don't you? 
I've seen him and I know what I'm looking at, he says. He drew me right in. It was like I'm his whole life. From he called me from the fishing boats. Right there, even I stood beneath the cross with his mother. Woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. It's like I was in the play. It's like it was only me and him. I landed on his breast and heard his heart beating at supper. I even seen him pinpoint the one who would betray him. Which we have seen with our eyes and have looked upon and our hands have handled with the word of life. Our hands have handled him. He walked shores of Galilee with Christ. He walked the regions of Samaria. For Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He walked Judea with Christ. And he walked in and out of Jerusalem with Christ until he stood at the cross before Christ. Let's not forget John was in the isle called Patmos. He was there for the word of God and for the testimony. Not John's testimony. Well, was given the testimony and was put in prison. No. That's not why John was on the isle called Patmos. John was on the isle called Patmos for I was in Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. The emperor Domitian, I think, was on the throne of my as the Caesar in Rome, if my memory serves me right. And he would have been the one who places John on Patmos Island. Barren prison isle. Sea to the north, sea to the south, to the east and to the west. Surrounded by sea. It's like a, a, an island you can't escape. And the thing is, in our lives we feel there are places that none can reach and we can't escape out of. But in Revelation chapter 1, he says, I, John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And what happened? The Lord came and was sang it before we started this message. Behold, I live. I am alive forevermore. And he gives him the revelation of Jesus Christ. John was there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Not for John's testimony. Not for John saying how well John was or how John could preach. But John was there for the word of God and for the testimony about Christ. He preached Christ. Talked about Christ. He loved Christ. He still pursued through the Holy Spirit and followed Christ. And he got arrested for it. Do you see if I hear another Christian or see another Christian on social media put up, we must obey Romans 13. I think I'll squeal. I so, I so want to go on and put a few things straight, but 
I just, it's unprofitable. What would the early church have done in the book of Acts? What did Paul, who wrote Romans 13, what did Paul do when they stoned him because he wouldn't shut up about Christ? He wouldn't, stand, he, he wouldn't stand for what they were doing, but rather stood for Christ. Yet Paul wrote Romans 13. They stoned Paul as though he were dead, and they got up and went back and preached it all over again. You know what the Christians would be saying today? It's not very Christ-like of you. It's not very Christian of you. You, you should be behaving yourself and acting the proper Christian. Paul was acting the proper Christian. If Christ was here in person, that is, in bodily form today, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but I believe he would whoop the storm and throw the lot of them out. I believe he had whipped them out and turn over all their tables. Turn them over. I'll have to round this up. At the end of verse 1 it says, the, speaks of the word of life. The word of God is the person of Christ. In the beginning was the word. The person of Christ. The word of life is the manifestation of that person to a dying world. To a lost Israel. To a lost people. And John, how do you handle the word of life? He was made flesh. Notice what he says in verse 2. For the life was manifested and we have seen it. What's the difference in 1 John 1 and verse 2? For the life was manifested and John's gospel chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What's the difference? So the word made flesh and dwelt among us is is an historical fact. It happened. It's an historical fact. The invisible God came down and was made visible in the person of of his beloved son. But the life that was manifested in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 2, it gives the idea, it sets forth the various operations of the life of Christ. The various operations of the life of Christ the things which we have talked about which John was drawn into which he thought he was living as it were in a play himself he was drawn so much in by the person of Christ literally drawn in by the person of Christ seeing the manifest operations of the life of Christ 
And so John says in his gospel, in John chapter 1, listen to what he says. In verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The manifestations of the living Christ, the manifestations of the life of Christ is what causes you and I to have light within us. His life is our light. His life is our light. Now here's the thing. John in Revelation 1 is in Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I wonder in 2021, weeks away from 2022, I wonder if there were detectives to go through the Christian church today looking for the signs of the light of Christ because the life of Christ is in them and they're standing for the glory of Christ. I wonder how many would be put in Patmos today. Let me cut it away down. I wonder how many pastors would be in put in Patmos today. I wonder how many ministers would be put in Patmos today. Arrested and stuck on that aisle because we believe, you believe in the word of God and the testimony of Christ. I wonder how many would actually be arrested. Scotland Yard sent over their chief detectives. Go and find these Christians who really believe the word of God, who take their stand and love this Christ and believe that he's ascended in the glory and coming again. I wonder how many pastors and preachers and I wonder how many elders, I wonder how many deacons and I wonder how many ministers of the gospel, one way or another, from all the denominations, I wonder how many would be arrested and how many of us would be on the island called Patmos. I don't think there's going to be too many. You know why? Because of soft soap. You know what happens with soap when you drop it in water for too long, don't you? It wears away to nothing and assimilates into the water. That's what's happening in many, many assemblies today in churches. They've soft soaped too long. And you know what's went on with them? They've melted until you can't tell the difference. It just likes like a load of dirty water now. Okay, so I'll finish. I promise I'll finish. For the life was manifested. If you get a a glass prism, P-R-I-S-M, it's like a wee pyramid prism. If you set it on, say, a table, and you are able to inject the light straight down into it, like a laser light. It comes into the top at the point of the prism. See, by the time that goes through the prism, it actually divides the light. Did you know that? It divides light. And it divides it, but it manifests out the bottom, out the sides, the bottom of the sides, in color. Just pure light. And it'll come out like a beam out one side. It'll be blue and yellow and red or green and violet, like the rainbow or whatever colors are on the rainbow. And one Greek scholar says, in him was life, but this manifests life. Christ is like the prism of glass. And the Father showing his glory through him. 
manifests in green and blue and all the colours of yellow and orange or whatever's in, in the rainbow. We'll have to start singing that wee song, red and yellow and pink and green, orange and purple and blue or whatever. I, don't, I forget all the colours now. I could sing a rainbow. And all of them are the manifest glories of Christ, which John says, I seen him and I understood what I was looking at. I beheld him. He drew me in. It was like a theater watching him. It was like watching a, a theater. So he says to the church, be strong. Be courageous. Don't give up. Don't give in. Press on in God. If you were to read that little letter, the end of the chapter, he starts coming and saying, Have they told you of your failures? You're pointed out your past. Does the devil remind you through them and others that you've let the Lord down yet again? He says, Look, if we say we have no sin, we are lying to ourselves. We're all the same, he says. But if we confess our sin John is faithful it's nothing to do with John he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some of them a few of them, a number of them is that what he says? because John knows him walked with him talked with him, ate with him Slept in the same places as him. Heard him speaking and teaching and preaching. Saw the manifestations of his life and glory and power. On the mountain when he's transfigured. On the cross when he's dying. And he sees the blood. And after all of it he says, I've seen the blood. And that blood cleanses me from all sin. Let's press on in God. God bless us tonight.